Hello, everybody. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapters 2 and 3, if you will. A couple chapters tonight, and then we'll, I'll try to finish it up next week. I don't know if I can do three chapters or not. Should be able to, but 2 and 3 tonight for sure. I have a, a man-style sign-up sheet out there for those who are going to that September conference. Uh, not this weekend, but uh, not this coming weekend, but the next down in St. Joe. And I have a sign-up not to see if you're going to go or not, but for uh, who needs a ride, maybe who wants to carpool or something instead of all driving down there and, you know. Um, but it also lets you know there are other people going because sometimes when you don't do a sign-up and everybody's doing it online themselves, they're all kind of like, I don't know if I'm going to go because I don't know if anybody else is going or not. There's a lot of people going. So um, this kind of helps you know who's going and, and that you're not going to be sitting there alone and a bunch of, you know, strangers or something. Um, um, I encourage you, if you haven't signed up, sign up. These things don't come around very often, and it's going to be a good conference. Um, so that is September uh, 7th and, what did I say, 6th and 7th and 8th, right? Is, okay. That's a Friday and a Saturday. Mainly Saturday is the big, that's the teaching day. Uh, there's a, uh, a worship time and a short teaching Friday night, um, but that's all that's going on that night, um, and fellowship time and hanging out, and uh, that's good also. But if you, if you can't, because you've got to work, or you're not sure you can do two moments like that, you can't break away that much, come Saturday um, and just sign up for that online and get registered for that. It is $40. Um, I don't want anybody to not go because they don't have the money. If you don't have the money, just let us know, um, and we'll, we'll cover it for you. We'll try to cover it for you. I don't, I don't want to promise I've got I don't know, $400. I can't cover 10 of you, but I can cover some of you. We can cover some of you. So go um, if you really feel like it's on your heart to go. Um, and, and I'd encourage you to, to, to do that. Um, so I have that sheet out there. So if you need a ride, put your name on there, and, and we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll be here early in the morning leaving. And if you're here, great, and you can hop in the car with me. Um, if you're not here on time, you're going to walk, I guess, because uh, i got to get down there. We're t- uh, Rod and I are both teaching down there. Um, I'm going to do the morning session, not, not the big session. It's a workshop. It's a, a breakaway session. And then Rod's doing, doing the afternoon breakaway session. They picked us to do Sunday school ministry. So um, we're both excited about that. So anyway, that's what's going on here. Um, this next Sunday, we are doing another baptism. There was a family that uh, needed it this next weekend and couldn't do it last weekend. So if you wanted to get baptized, we're gonna, we have got two actually. Um, and, uh, and a baby dedication that morning. So um, if you couldn't last weekend, but you want to get baptized this, this coming Sunday, meet us out at Mazingle again, 2 o'clock. Um, at Mazingo Beach, and we're going to do another baptism out there. So, all right. And thank you for those of you who came out and supported those folks last Sunday. It's so important um, to come out and support those who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior and want to show it, you know, and get baptized. Um, It was raining. It was great. Um, We had actually three scheduled and five got baptized, so we almost doubled. Uh, It's neat to see the Holy Spirit work. So thank you for coming out and supporting them. I mean, that's what we're here for. If we're not here for people getting saved, what are we here for, right? So, all right, chapter 2. Paul, uh, Timothy uh, gets another uh, encouragement from Paul here, or continues on with this encouragement from Paul on how to uh, pick people to be in the ministry. Um, he's got some things he wanted to take care of in this church of Ephesus. He left Timothy behind to do that, um, to, to set the, the place up and get it in order. And so he's going to give them tonight um, some criteria for these people and some uh, methodology as to how we set up government in the church. And this is how they did it in the book of Acts, and this is how they do it in the New Testament, and this is how it should be continued, really. Honestly, there's some, 
variables here, but um, not a whole lot of wiggle room for us. Um, so these things are really important. So if you've ever desired to be in the ministry, you feel like God's got a burning desire in your heart to be in the ministry, these are for you. Um, this uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are for you. Um, read these. Uh, pray about these things and become these people. Um, that's what God wants. Um, and that's who we need to look for to be in these positions of authority in the church. Um, after he tells us last week that he's delivered Hymenius and Alexander to Satan, I'll let that sink in again, Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. That's where Paul left us last week. I don't hear that very often. It's not the kind of church uh, that we're used to, perhaps, but that is the kind of church that Paul sets up, and that's the kind of minister that he was. These guys were blasphemers. He's not like that with unbelievers. Please understand me. He's not talking about unbelievers. Unbelievers may be swine. You don't want to cast your pearls before swine. That's fine. There's other verses for that. But these guys were believers. They were in the ministry with Paul, and they learned to blaspheme. And he says, well, I'm going to turn you over to Satan that you might learn not to blaspheme. In other words, I'm done with you. I'm letting you go. Paul doesn't chase him down. Paul didn't run after them. Paul didn't coddle them, didn't give them big hugs and everything. He just said, hey, Satan, you got him. I'm not going to worry about him anymore. And Satan does his work on them, unfortunately. Um, they reap the benefits of what they've decided to do. And so Paul leaves, this off, leaves Timothy off last week with Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan that they may, not, they may learn not to blaspheme. Therefore, I exhort... First of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We've got to pray for people, he says. Um, I'm sure he prayed for Hymenaeus and Alexander, but he uses them as an example in Verse 1 of chapter 2, therefore, because you, you have that possibility that servants in the ministry or anybody in authority can fall, stumble, and be used by Satan, we need to pray for these guys. We need to pray for them. Of course, immediately we think of, in our country, we want to pray for our president, our congressman, our senators, our, our, uh, our Supreme Court, um, and then you work on your way all the way down, you go to governors, you go to state legislature, and, and, and so on. You want to pray for these people in authority. You want to pray all the way to the mayor. You want to pray for our city council. You want to pray for police officers. Uh, those who are in authority um, in our communities and all the way up. Pray for our military. Pray for these folks. It'll be a long prayer list. I don't know if you have to go individually, but you do want to pray for these folks um, because um, we want to live peaceable lives, he says. You may have somebody. You know, you've got to understand who he's talking about. Well, well, I can pray for this president, but I sure couldn't pray for that other president. I'm not even going to, whatever your political affiliation is. No, we pray for all of them. We pray for all of them because when Paul was writing this, you know who's in charge, right? Nero. Caesar Nero. The guy that used to light Christians on fire, stick them on poles. This is the guy that he says we're supposed to be praying for this guy. That we might be able to live peaceable lives or peaceful lives. Uh, with all godliness and reverence. We don't want to have to compromise. We want to live a God-like life. We want to have reverence for God. We want to be able to live a peaceable life. So pray for them. And he, he matches that up with, what are you supposed to pray? That they'd ignore us, that they wouldn't notice us? No, he finishes it off without 
taking a breath, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved. God desires Nero to be saved. God desires the centurions to be saved, you know? So he's saying we're praying for all these guys, not that they'd just leave us alone and they wouldn't, you wouldn't notice us, but we want them saved. Paul several times says the, the, the household of Caesar greets you. He's ministering. He wants these all guys. And see, this is new for Timothy. Timothy's half Jew, half Gentile, been circumcised, been used by Paul greatly in several of his missionary trips and left behind. I mean, he's the number one guy in Paul's life um, as far as ministry goes. He is ministering to Gentiles, and this is new. We're not just ministering to the Jews. We're not just praying for the Jews to have a peaceable life. We're not just praying for the Jews to get saved. We're praying for all men to be saved. God desires all men to be saved, not just Jews, but Gentiles also. And I say that because he finishes up at the bottom here, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. He doesn't have to say that unless he's trying to make a point. You mean we're even supposed to pray for people like Nero? This is the idea. He's a Gentile. He's crazy. And he's always hated us. And here are enemies. Yes. And so he gives them um, an exhortation, but more of permission, I would say. Because I know who to pray for. That, those are the ones that come easy to me. You don't have to tell me to pray for my wife. You don't have to tell me to pray for my kids. Nobody really has to be told to pray for the people that you love, right? You always pray for them. But what Paul's giving them permission to do and exhorting, encouraging, is to pray for those that aren't in that circle of your life, that aren't your friends, um, that aren't your allies, to pray for them. Because God desires all men to be saved, and I have to remember that. There are some people I'd like God just to take out. Can I pray that? I can pray that. God, take them out. I don't know how, and I'm not being specific. In the most loving way you can, remove them, you know. I can pray that way. That comes easy to me because, because I'm a man. You know, that's what, and I don't mean like that as male. I mean, I'm human. It's easy to pray that way. Make my life easier. Remove all the people that make my life hard. That's a great prayer, right? No. That's easy. But what God is telling Timothy through Paul is I desire, remember this is scripture, I desire all men to be saved. And that should put to rest a lot of our funny doctrines that come up that maybe some people are saved and some people aren't chosen to be saved. God desires all men, and that's God's will. In other words, God's will is for all men to be saved. So there it is. Just all men don't choose to be saved and won't be saved. So pray for them. Pray for all who are in authority. A couple of scriptures. If you turn to Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. I'll start in verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. God is the one that raises up kings and sets kings down, Daniel says. Now keep your fingers there. I mean, in Daniel, and let's move to chapter 4 of Daniel. Verse 17, this decision is by the decree of the watchers, 
and the sentence by the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. I can, I can name a few presidents for sure. I'm sure there are way more. I don't know my presidents like I should. But I can name a lot of presidents that I know for sure God put in position because they acted like him. But it says that he puts them all into place. He puts all the kings into place. I think the greatest example we have in, in the scriptures is Nebuchadnezzar. That guy was nuts. But he knew God. He had a conversation with God. He had moments with God. It was really strange. A total heathen, Babylonian king. But he had moments. And he says, you can have all this and understand that I've done all this. This is God speaking to him. But don't you ever claim credit for all this. And the moment that he claimed credit for it, God caused him to be like a beast. Read the story. It's an amazing, it'd be a great movie. Maybe they made a movie out of it. I don't know. But it's a great story, and you can have the movie in your head if you just read it and read it slow and put yourself in the position, what that must have looked like, and fill in the gaps. Like, what does a king normally do throughout the day? And put this in there. He gets up and he says, look at this great, you know, that I've made. And instantly, God took his mind from him, caused him to be mad and be like a beast until his hair was like eagle's feathers. So he looked like he had dreadlocks. He was all muddy and nasty, and his fingernails grew like eagle's claws. He was just, I mean, that takes a long time for that to grow out like that. So he was like that for a while. God does that. God raises men up, even Babylonian kings, even Russian dictators, even Chinese, whatever they have over there. I don't know, emperors. I don't have emperors anymore, but whatever they have now. Prime ministers or whatever they have. Um, presidents. He raises these people up and down at different times. In fact, we've had some presidents that we might question ourselves, like how in the world? That's got to be from Satan, right? I've got two in mind right now that I'm pretty sure had horns. But they were raised up by God for a reason and for a specific time. Not because he was pleased with them or approved of them, never make that mistake, but because that's what our country needed. Because that's what we may have asked for. Several times the nation of Israel asked God for a king and God gave them a king. I mean, read, read it. Read kings as they go up and down through the kings. Good king, bad king, good king, king. God raised every single one of them up at different times. And they learned through both to worship God. Okay? God calls us to that. To pray for our leaders. And finally, Romans 13, verses 1, through two, one and 2. And we all know this one. This is an obvious one. I, I think you do anyway. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will uh, bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works. And some of them are. <laughs> but to evil. They're supposed to be, is what I'm saying. I'm not adding to God's word. I'm not mocking him. I'm just, I know my thought when I read that. I'm like, I know some guys that are not for good. And they're for evil. The idea is, don't resist them. Remember where they came from. If they're bad, pray for them to be saved. Pray for them to be governed by God. Pray for God to change the heart of kings, because like, he can. He can change the heart of a king. Submit. I think I might be able to do that. 
It's hard. Our system's different, and this is why I pause. Kings, they're a monarchy. Our nation is ruled by the people. We have a constitution that we obey. We're a representative republic. Supposed to be anyway, till last election with Prop A. Um, that ended up being a democracy instead. Um, <laughs> Some people love sports. Politics are my sports. I have hats, I have jerseys, okay? Understand that. <laughs> if I have signed memorabilia, it's them, not the Chiefs, care less. So understand I'm really holding back right now. But we have a system of government that was ordained by God, that was placed in, put in place by our forefathers of our nation so that we can resist in a, in a legal way. Okay, so resist legally. He's, what he's saying is don't resist illegally. Understand that? Resist legally, but don't resist illegally. So that's where that comes from, that Romans. Um, either way, the point of the top, or the topic here at hand is pray for those men and women that are in charge. Pray for them. Pray for them, that they might be saved. Okay? Um, because God desires them all to be saved. Even though you may not rather, you'd rather not see them in eternity. It'd be all right if we didn't see each other. They can stand on the other side of heaven. That's fine. But he wants them saved. And I'm being facetious, of course. We'll have love for one another and everything's going to be made right when we're up there. Um, but pray for them. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So all that goes together, that whole section we broke up, really goes together. Pray for those in authority because I am a teacher and a preacher and an apostle to the Gentiles in faith and truth. All of them need to be saved. Not just the Jews. So pray for the Gentile leaders. Pray for Nero. Pray for them. And he's throwing them to the lions. Pray for him anyway. Because there's nothing better than a saved heathen. <laughs> A heathen who gets saved is far better than one that uh, just ignores you, okay? Um, it's a wonderful thing when, when, when unbelievers get saved. It's, it's beautiful. Um, and so pray for them, Paul says. Um, we don't want to skip this. There is one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. Um, that's true, and that, that, that holds a whole, that could be a Bible study in and of itself, obviously. But Jesus is who we go through to get to God. We don't go through men. We don't go through people to get to God. That's why the veil was lifted. It was ripped. Um, there was a veil, but it's not a veil anymore. And so we go straight to Jesus, and, and he is our intercessor. Um, we don't have a man to intercede, and we don't have his mother that intercedes for us either. Okay? That's just not true. Um, we go to Jesus only, um, and he is our intercessor. So Paul declares that. Verse 8, I desire, therefore... That the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. So, he gives us two commands here, or two encouragements. One for the men, I want you to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. That's about the hardest thing you could ask a man to do. It really is. Um, 
It is for me. I shouldn't say that for all men, but as you walk closer to Jesus, it gets easier to not lift up hands with wrath. It gets easier to lift up holy hands, and it gets easier to trust God and to lift up hands that aren't doubting. These prayers need to be offered in those three ways. I need to be holy because God is holy. Now, that doesn't mean I need to make sure I'm sinless. Then I'll, be never, I'll never be praying, obviously. The holiness comes from the Lord. It comes from Jesus. It comes from my relationship with him. And so my first act uh, before I pray is to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior and understand that my life needs to be radically changed by him. A, three, a 180 needs to be done in my life. Um, and that's where holiness comes from, trusting in God and allowing his righteousness to be imputed to me. But also, I don't want to be acute. I don't want to be living in sin. Just because I'm saved doesn't mean I can live in sin. That needs to change. If you, and I posted that, that was from Tozer uh, this week. Um, if you have not been converted to the point where your life is going the opposite direction that it was, then you're probably not converted. You're not saved. Very important. A salvation in Jesus Christ means my life has completely changed. I'm completely turned around. I'm going the other way now. You can't add him to it. You can't receive Christ is the point. Receiving Christ is a, is a, it's a word we use. It's a phrase we use. But it needs to mean something that I've received Christ into my life to the point where I no longer am the person I was. I'm born again. I'm completely different. Um, I've repented of my sins, of my life, and I'm going the opposite direction now. That's holiness. So I want to lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. The wrath that I have may be, God, get them. That was that easy prayer. Take out my enemies, remove them from me. And those prayers have been offered in the scriptures. I mean, I, I love to quote them. <laughs> well, he prayed for him to die, and he did, so I can do that. I don't want wrath, though. Wrath is something that's in God's hands. I don't have wrath. I don't have judgment. I don't have that uh, vengeance. That's something God has. I lift up holy hands without wrath, without doubt, and, and doubting. I don't want to have any doubting in me. Um, I need to pray knowing. And so th that's the commandment, or that's the encouragement for men here. Um, and so work on that. You know, that's what we focus on. That's a decision we have to make. We don't hear these things and then say, and, you know, this is something we can come away with tonight. Well, I'm praying that God would help me with my wrath, with my doubting, and with holiness. Okay, but there's a lot of choosing involved in that too. I choose to be holy. I choose to not be wrathful. I choose to not have doubt. I choose to have faith. That's something we have to do. Just as much as he moves on to the women, just as, as, as purposeful it is for the women to adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. He's not saying they can't wear those things. He's saying what you ordain yourself or, your, or adorn yourself with is modesty. Peter does the same thing. He teaches the same thing here. It's not that we don't, you can't. It's that don't let that be who you are. Don't wear those things so that everybody identifies you as the one who's wealthy or the one who knows how to dress or the one who, you know, you want your heart. I, I'm all for dressing appropriately, nicely, Putting on makeup, doing your hair, taking a shower, please, by all means, you know. 
But what I want to notice about you and what you want people to notice about you and to see in you is your heart. You want the heart right. Adorn themselves in modest apparel. He is talking specifically, though, don't be wearing stuff that's inappropriate. Now, boy, we have opinions on that. So let me pause here for a minute before we get carried away in our mind. Well, I know there's a few girls at this church I'm going to talk to then afterwards because they need, I hope they heard. I'm going to get them the teaching for tonight. Be careful because if you were in an Amish community, we'd all be getting the CD tonight. <laughs> be careful. Um, you know, we need bonnets that go like this, like blinders, so we can't see to the left or to the right because we don't want to have our eyes stray. Be careful what the level is here. These people in Ephesus are moving from the worship of Diana to Christianity. I think we'd be surprised at what he's teaching against here. I think we'd be the most modest group at this church. Please understand that. The modesty um, is why are you wearing what you're wearing? Is it to gain attention? Is it to draw whatever? Um, do you wear a larger diamond ring or more gold or more pearls so that everybody understands what your status is economically? Okay, be careful about that. Um, but by all means, you know, also, you know if you feel, the Holy Spirit will convict you of these things, you know? Um, don't, don't wear that. I don't feel comfortable. God will make you not feel comfortable anymore wearing those things anymore. He just does that. Um, and so he wants them to do that. Pay attention to that. I want you lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And in like manner, I want the women to adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but uh, which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. That's where I get to the heart of the matter. He, he isn't saying you can't wear those things. He's saying make sure you're adorning yourself with good works. It's the heart that God's looking at. You can attract all sorts of people, if you're single, with your physique, or how much of it you show. But you're going to attract the wrong kind of people for life. Um, you have to be careful about that. You want to attract people with good works. We were taught, who, who was it that I was talking about arranged marriages with? It's just last, last Sunday. Maybe you're not here. <laughs> so we're going to start doing that here. No, I'm just kidding. All the, all the teen girls are like, <laughs> we're going to Laura Street. We're done with this place. <laughs> no, we were talking about, I don't know how it got on the subject of it, but that, oh, Robbie Zacharias was the one who wrote the book. Um, oh, it was J.C., and Andrea, how would I, I didn't remember my own son. They had read the book, um, uh, I, I the Isaac, Take the Rebecca, is the book by Robbie, which I'm going to read um, now, because he told me I should read it. Um, and I don't read books, but if he says to read it, I'm going to read it. Interesting, though, how Robbie's brother asked his dad to find him a wife. And Robbie told his brother, are you crazy? Are you nuts? And he goes through this thing where they actually have these women on the table and they're looking and, and, and he, he says, and even my dad sent some, some joke ones to my brother saying, how about her? And he's like, well, you know, because that's a big thing to put that into his hands. He says, but here's, here's the point. Here's the point. Not that we're going to start doing arranged marriages, but 
He asked him, how could you let dad do that? He goes, because I know my dad is going to look out for my best interests and my heart. He's going to find a woman who's going to protect my heart. And that's what he's there for. So, girl, no, (laughs) they're going, wait a minute. (laughs) But it's true. As this man began to look for wives, he began to do much like the servant did for Isaac by testing the heart of the woman first, not looking at the appearance at all. Will she do these? Will she protect my son's heart? Will she watch out for him or her? It doesn't matter either way. Um, And so that's all Paul is really trying to get across here. Make sure that you're adorning yourself with good works. Don't let that be who you are or all you are, but have a good heart. Verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. And that's from Genesis, which we'll get to in a minute. That's a tough one to teach. A lot of people don't want to hear it. And I believe it. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. And he's going to move into chapter 3 and describe who the leaders in the church are. None of them are women. None of them are women. They're all men. There are wives that have certain qualifications for the deacons and for the elders, but none of them are to be deacons or elders. These women aren't to be that. And we agree with that. And we teach that here at Calvary Chapel. Um, Not everybody agrees. Um, but this is scripture. You can't throw it out. And this isn't the only place it talks about this. Peter talks about this. Several places talk about this. In fact, um, need to have an interesting conversation with one of the guys in Africa that we used to support. Um, and we're not going to support for a while until we get this straightened out. Um, but he believes that anybody that doesn't let a woman be an authority in the church is a cult. Okay? Well, you just called us a cult. So we're going to have to talk about this a little bit and, and see where you really stand. Or did you just hear a teaching and got excited about it and you're just ignorant and don't understand what the rest of God's word says? Um, anyway, um, there's a reason for this. This is the same guy writing First Timothy that wrote Galatians 3.28, which is used to counteract this. And the scripture, let's turn there, Galatians Chapter 3, verse 28. I think you'll be happy with this by the time you're done. If you're not happy right now and you're not sure and you've got folded arms here, hold on. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And that's the verse they use. But it's the same author. Paul wrote Galatians. So what does he mean? If he meant 28, chapter 3 of Galatians, he also meant 1 Timothy, chapter 2 here. What does he mean? There are roles. There are purposes. It's not about equality. Women are absolutely equal to men. Make no mistake about that. And anybody that teaches otherwise is an error, and they're in a cult. Women are absolutely equal to men. Very important we understand that, make sure I'm clear on that. Women are equal to men. We have different jobs. We have different roles. We have different responsibilities by our creator. And we have to accept those roles. 
There are a lot of men that do not want to accept the role of being the spiritual leader of their house and are willing to advocate that to their wives. And that's error. There are many women that would like to take that role from their husbands. And that's error. We have callings on our life. He wants women to learn in silence with all submission. I can give you a few reasons why. He doesn't have to give us reasons why. It's not important. His word tells us this. We should accept it. Does our father look out for our best interests or doesn't he? Does he always love us? Is he always right? We've talked about that. He is, isn't he? So why is he telling us this if he's not right, if it's archaic, if it's Victorian, whatever words you want to use? It's not. It's biblical. It's right. It's what he wants for us. It's the best. There are a lot of jobs out there. And if you're the CEO, if you've ever owned a company and had to hire people, there are certain people that do jobs well. There are certain people that are made not to do jobs well. I know what I'm not good at. I know this would not be a good fit for me. Okay? There are other jobs that I'm more suited to. I went to, when I was, before I left Rogers and became a real estate agent, I actually went to an interview to be a lineman. A power lineman. I thought, well, I don't know, $36 an hour to start? That's not bad. I might die. And I know nothing about electricity. <laughs> I hope there's some training. So I went to this interview, and I'm sitting across from all these guys who've been doing it for years, and they're looking at me, and I'm looking at them, and I know what they're seeing. They're seeing my gray hair. Really. <laughs> You're going to climb up a pole. I could do it. And they're looking at me. And, I, and they asked me a question. They said, do you think you can do this job? And I stopped and I said, I don't know if I can do this job. I'm going to trust you guys to tell me whether I can do this job or not. Because I don't know what this job entails. I've never done it before. I said, I got a question for you. Is it actually true? Because I read up on it that when you go up there and you get into the line, that you become part of the current. The current goes through you. And they all laughed. They said, Yes. I said, that's disturbing to me, <laughs> to be honest with you. That all that power is going through me. And if at any moment my body touches anything associated with the ground, it, I explode and burst into flames. I didn't say all of that, but I looked at them and I had the honest questions. And they all sat back in their chairs and they looked at me. And I said, I'm trusting you guys to let me know whether you think I'm going to be the right person for the job. I said, I know I can climb the pole. I know I'm responsible. I'm calm. I'll take my time, I'll work in any kind of conditions, but I don't know if I'm the right one for this job. And I didn't get the job. And I trust them on that. I trust that the other kid got the job, you know? Uh, that's good. I left it in their hands, and I'm doing much better now. <laughs> I, I pray for those guys every time it rains. I know the powers, I'm like, oh God, thank you, first of all. <laughs> but I'm in my bed with the lights off, I don't care. I pray for those guys. I pray for Brian right over here who's a lineman. And I pray for the guys that are linemen out there. I pray for them. Thank you for them. And I appreciate those guys. Thank you that I'm not one of them right now, you know? Okay, that was a, a nice way of saying God has called you women to do a specific job. He's called you for a purpose. Can you accept that from God? It's just something that you have to ask him and talk to your, to your Lord about. Is he your Lord? And men, we've been called to a specific job. Are we doing it? And can we accept it? And be those people that God's called us to be? There is a beauty 
when things fall into place like God called us and when we obey his voice, there's a beauty there. We may not be able to see it, the benefits, the beauty, the perfection that God has planned, but when we obey God's word without knowing why, but we obey because we love and trust our Father in heaven, there's a beauty there. And we see it later, oftentimes. God isn't being, or Paul's not being stuffy. Paul thanks several women for being in the ministry with them and tells them to treat them with respect and, and all this. But he's saying, I don't want you to be a teacher and have authority over a man. You can do all sorts of things, but to have that, guys, it honestly messes up the picture that God's been trying to show from Genesis. All the way through scripture, there's a picture. Man was created first. Women were created second. Not second place, but second they were supposed to fall under the authority of their husband. And when Eve got into trouble was when she came out from the authority of her husband and listened to Satan as opposed to her husband. And she got deceived because she wasn't made to handle that conversation. Adam was. Adam left his responsibility. Maybe. We don't know if he's standing right there or not listening to this whole conversation go down or whether she had left or whatever. But he went ahead and ate also. He's supposed to be the one saying, you weren't supposed to eat of that. But instead, he submitted to his wife and took the fruit from her and he ate. And that's when we got into trouble. When we removed ourselves, when they removed themselves, and we can do it today. When we remove ourselves from God's structure, his design, from his word. Satan said, you will not surely die. And she believed him. Guys, you ever have that conversation with yourself? Well, if I was in the garden, I wouldn't have eaten of that fruit. You've got a moment right here. Here is a tree that God has placed in the middle of 1 Timothy chapter 2 and said, I don't want you to do this. And Satan's whispering in your ear saying, I don't see how there could possibly be a problem with it. And I don't think that's true. And we go ahead and eat of this fruit. And we watch the flip-flop take place inside of the household where the women are in charge and the men are no longer in charge. And we see the family structure fail. And we find ourselves hiding, covering ourselves with fig leaves in a certain way. And God says, where are you? Well, we departed from you in verse 11 of chapter 2 of 1 Timothy because we thought we knew better than your word. And God has to fix it. It's a beautiful thing we talk about weddings, we talk about the wife representing the body of Christ and the husband representing Christ. And we see them come together and we see the woman walk down dressed in white. Usually she has or used to have a veil over her face. It was really cool if you have a veil, by the way, because it really makes the picture neat. Because what happens is she wears the veil, veiled, whether that's she can't see Clearly, there's a veil in front of her or whether it's the veil at the temple, however you want to look at it. She comes down and the groom, as soon as she says yes and I do and all that, lifts the veil so that she can see the groom. I mean, the picture's beautiful when you follow through with it all. Um, and they become one and, and the whole thing. Um, guys, don't be offended at God's word. Don't be offended at Paul. Accept God's word. It's a beautiful thing. And see what God will do with you. Decide now to follow God's word. Decide now. 
And then he says this interesting thing here in verse 15. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. And a lot of people stop at the childbearing because they can't figure out how a person gets saved through childbearing. You don't get saved by having kids. Because he continues on saying, if they continue in faith. You get saved by Jesus Christ. You have to have faith to get saved. You can't just have kids and say, I'm saved, I have a baby. That's not how it works. That'd be, that'd be interesting. But that's not what he means. He's referring back to Genesis 3 when the curse was laid on. You're going to have pain during childbirth, but because you're going to have babies, salvation is going to be coming through that. How? Mary having Jesus. It's how salvation came about. All men come through women. <laughs> you want to know who's in charge and who's really got the authority, but they're submitted. Women. You don't have men without them. So we got to get over this not equal thing. Definitely equal. But there's a structure that God has in place. So nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Women, make sure you have all those things. Not only the good works spoken of in verse 10, but also in love, in faith, in holiness, and in self-control. All right, chapter 3 in five minutes. This is a faithful saying. If a, if a man desires the position of a bishop, not, not mankind, male, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, which is the same word for overseer or elder in the church, okay, depends on which word. Some people call them bishops and they have a hard time with that. It doesn't matter. It's the same position, title or not. Bishop, overseer, or elder. He desires a good work. And the desire is, I, you know, I think I could do that. I'd like to do that. That's not it. I must do this. There's a burning desire in me. I've got, I just feel like God's calling me to the ministry. There's that burning desire. You desire a good thing. It's a good thing to want to do that. It's the most important job in the world. It's more important than the president. It's more important than any other job. For people to get saved and to hear the gospel and to be taught the word of God is eternal. Everything else down here, every other job is temporary. It's so important. Um, necessary, all the other jobs are necessary, but this is, you desire a good work. A bishop then, because it's a good work, because it's a godly work, must be blameless. He doesn't mean that he doesn't have accusations against him, but he must not be guilty of those accusations. And later on in chapter 5, he's going to describe what accusations can be received against an elder. There has to be two or more witnesses. So no accusation is to be received without two or more witnesses. Must be blameless. The husband of one wife, that, that gets rid of the idea that an elder can be anybody. It has to be male. He has to be male. It must be a man and one wife. Now, we're not sure if he means only one wife because there's people in Ephesus that have five, six wives. So they may get saved and they're not going to get divorced. That's, that'd be mean. But you really aren't a great example of what we want. Because from here on out, we want to show the example. The elders should be looked at as there's one guy and one gal and that's it. And that's what we want from here on out. Even though you made mistakes prior to coming to know the Lord, that's fine. But one gal and one guy. But it doesn't necessarily mean he has to be married. If he's married, he's supposed to have one wife. Or it does mean you've got to be married. You've got to have at least a wife. Um, I, I don't take that view. I think you can be a pastor or an elder or a bishop without being married. Um, 
the, 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 where the crowd comes from that says, or where, the, where they're coming from when they say you, you be to be married is because how you treat sisters as a single pastor or a single elder could be interesting. It would be really hard to separate feelings and counseling and, and all that, you know, it'd be hard. And so that's where they come from. But I, I don't think that you, for, for one thing, Paul is single. Whether he's a widow and has only had one, he's not married right now, and he is, he's an apostle. So I think that if you're married, you need to have one wife only, okay? Temperate, you're even. You're not hot, you're not cold. You're a, you're a solid person in the Lord. They need to be stable, if you're still working on your salvation and still starting to figure out your doctrine, and I don't mean that you ever come to the end of that learning, but Mondays shouldn't be, I'm down in the dumps, and Tuesdays I'm on cloud nine, and, and Wednesdays I'm down in the dumps, and Thursdays I'm on cloud nine. You, you need to have a walk with the Lord that's even. You need to have that, because people need you to be even. If you're going to minister to other people, you can't tell them, I'm not, I'm not available this Monday because I'm just trying to minister to me today. You don't get any me time. It's, you need to be even and ready. So temperate, sober-minded. Um, I, I got to work on that. <laughs> I get crazy sometimes. I got wild ideas. And, um, and uh, some of those are exciting and some of those might be of the Lord, but most of them are for me because I just like jumping and figuring out whether I have my parachute on or not afterwards. Um, but sober-minded, you need to be sober-minded. Of good behavior, um, that's, no need to expound on that. You need to be a good person. You need to be behaving well. You know, you're not disruptor. You're not a, a you know, hospitable. You like people. You like people, and you're nice to them, and you want to make sure they're comfortable. You want to make sure. I mean. Um, you got to worry about whether the chairs are set up right. I pick on that one a lot. Um, if you don't care how the chairs are set up or whether the bathrooms are clean or whether there's toilet paper, you're not hospitable. you got to be that kind of person um, as a man. Make sure everything's in place so that people are comfortable when they come in. And you may forget something, don't misunderstand, but it's not because you don't care about people, it's because you just forgot. Okay. Hospitable. Able to teach. If you can't teach the Bible, then you shouldn't be an elder. You shouldn't be a bishop. Um, you shouldn't be uh, an overseer of the ministry. You ought to be able to teach God's word. Not given to wine. Um, in other words, you're not a drunkard. Um, you're not someone who's got to have it kind of thing. Um, not violent. Um, in other words, you, uh, always shoving people around. You get your point across by raising your fists kind of thing. Um, I, I think there's a time for a shepherd. You know, David was a shepherd, Right? David was a violent man also, understand that. I mean, he was able to take out lions and, and, and bears and, and goliaths and all that stuff. Um, he had a shepherd's heart, though, and was able to be an overseer of the nation of Israel. So understand violence for violence's sake, okay? Um, you don't just love and crave violence. Um, remember, Ephesus. Not greedy for money. Well, you know, you don't want to be in the ministry for money. Um, important. Nothing wrong with taking a, a, a salary, um, and, 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 and you should. In fact, Corinthians tells us that, and Paul writes other places about that, but not greedy for money. Um, you're not in it for the money. Um, you'd be doing it whether you got a salary or not, is the idea. Um, not greedy for money. But gentle. Um, you're, you... Paul, when he writes this, 
Um, remember who's writing it. Paul's considered gentle. Jesus flipped tables. So understand what he means gentle. He doesn't mean... Um, I'm trying to sing something that's not offensive. I can't think of anything that wouldn't be offensive. <laughs> you can still be a man. You can still tell people, you need to get out of here. That's not being rough. That's, that's being gentle to everybody else, you see. Um, I'll give you an example. Can you, can you teach toddlers? An overseer, an elder ought to be able to teach toddlers. And they ought to love him and ought to be able to climb on him and ought to be okay. Their heart should be able to be there. If you can't teach toddlers, if you can't teach the toddler class, you have no business being a, a, a pastor at all. Um, you ought to be able to be gentle enough for them. Jesus was. We should be able to also. Not quarrelsome. Some people just like to fight um, and, and argue. No. Not covetous. Timothy, look for people that aren't uh, rough, quarrelsome, that don't covet. Um, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? In other words, that's your first flock. If you can't take care of your house and they're not walking with the Lord, then you ought not be in the ministry yet. You need to, and it's not that you're, you're never going to be in the ministry, but you need to focus on your first flock first. When, when you've got them in order, great. Let's talk about expanding. But until that's done, um, you need to focus on your house. In your home, so the ch kids need to be in submission. Uh, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Um, I have a great story about that. I ran into that guy. We both had um, ambition um, way back when we were in Bellevue. Um, when I first started going, and I, I ran into this kid, and uh, he was ambitious. And I remember when his older brother got to be an elder, and he was furious that he wasn't picked as an elder also. And I couldn't believe that I was even vacuuming at the time, um, that I was able to do that. But this kid, I remember having that conversation with him because we were about the same age. I was maybe a little bit older than him, but he was just furious that he didn't get this. And I was looking at this guy going, man, you're showing right now why you shouldn't have been picked. Um, because you're full of pride. You got all puffed up. You have to be careful about that. Someone who thinks they've been overlooked for a ministry position just showed why they shouldn't be picked for a ministry position. You get my, you've just proved it. Um, how come I didn't get that job? Because you just said that right there. Because you thought you had it coming. You deserved it. Moreover, because uh, you don't want to be like, you don't want to set him up for failure. In other words, be careful, Timothy. You don't set up a young guy that Satan can twist. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. That means outside the faith. Not outside the building, not outside the leadership, but outside the faith. He needs to have a good testimony. Because it's no good if you have a bad testimony, and now you're an elder in the church, and now the world thinks, I'm never going to that group of guys. If that's what a Christian looks like, I don't have anything to do with it. You need to have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons. So, in, every, in other words, in the deacons are the guys that take care of the physical needs of the church. Uh, the guys that would serve tables. The seven that were picked to be deacons to serve tables, tables and acts. That's who these guys are. Likewise, deacons. They have all those qualifications. Must be reverent. Not double-tongued. In other words, they're not man-pleasers or someone who uh, says one thing to one person and then behind their back says something else. Not given to much wine. Um, not greedy for money, same thing. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. 
Um, they understand why they're saved um, with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested and let them serve as deacons being found blameless. In other words, you, you know, you'll find your deacons because they're deaconing. They're the ones that are there. They come early, they, they stay late. They're the ones that are setting up the chairs without having to ask. They see problems, they fix them without having to be told about it. Those are the guys that are deacons. They're automatic. Well, you didn't tell me to do that. Well, okay. I've walked past it 12 times. How come you haven't seen it? That's the idea. They're deaconing. They see these things. They do these things. It's automatic. They're built in to make sure the people are taken care of. Um, and so and so on. Likewise, their wives. So now we move on to why men who may have all these qualifications can still be disqualified. Because they're wives. Likewise, their wives must be reverent. They must respect. They must walk in reverence. Um, not slanderers. The word slander there has a little one beside it. They must not be a devil. <laughs> it actually means devil. Make sure their wives aren't devil. Wow. Um, what does he mean by that? Slandering is what devils do. That's what the devil does. He's always the accuser of the brethren. They're always talking about this person or talking about that person, how they're doing this and how they're doing that. Be careful. You don't want those guys in positions because their wives are tainting them. They don't want them to be devils. Temperate. These wives must be even. Um, nothing wrong with emotion, but they need to be stable. Stable women. Walking with the Lord. Stable. Temperate. Faithful in all things. Um, they don't start something and then throw it away because they're bored with it. They continue on. They persevere. They're faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands, or the, let deacons be the husbands of one wife. Again, ruling their children in their own house as well. So one wife only in this shows us that they're male. For those who have served well as deacons obtain, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Um, they've served well already. And then they're called deacons. So make sure they're in that position already before you call them deacons. They're already serving. Don't say, hey, you know, we need someone to do these things. You want to be a deacon? No, they're already doing those things. You just give them the title afterwards. In other words, man only confirms what God has ordained. That's all men can do. Men don't ordain anybody. Men confirm what God's already done. Um, okay, so let's finish up here. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed... I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And before I get into that, did you hear what he just said? Timothy, make sure you set these guys up and follow these rules because you are setting up the foundation. Christ is the foundation, but the church is built upon the foundation. I've heard way too many times that I don't believe God is in a building or I don't believe God is the church or part of the church. The church is weird or wacky. I'm by myself. I do all this. That's not biblical. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. This is what it needs to look like, Timothy, which is the church of the living God. The pillar and ground of the truth. This is it. Make sure you have that leadership set up properly. Very important. One of the teachings I'm going to do, uh, Rod's going to be doing the uh, 
as far as children's ministry goes, he's going to be teaching the afternoon class that talks about um, the nuts and bolts, basically, how we do security, how we check kids in, the kind of curriculum we use, different things, qualifications, our, our pamphlet that we put out or our booklet that we put out for the teachers to pray over before they become teachers, all that stuff. Mine is on the Holy Spirit. That's all I'm going to teach on for my first lesson on the Sunday school ministry is the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, without the Holy Spirit, without being filled with the Holy Spirit, you can't do children's ministry. You'll do it wrong because you're handling the Word of God and without the Holy Spirit, you'll handle the Word of God wrong. You have to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You have to be gifted in the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to be teaching on that. Um, you ought to know how to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar, the ground of the truth, um, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, God-likeness. That's what godliness means, to be like God. Um, God was manifested in the flesh, Jesus, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Okay, he just described Christ, obviously, right? He described Jesus, is all these things. The mystery of godliness is Jesus. If you want to be in ministry, after he's read all of chapter 3 here, and part of chapter 2, and you want to be godly, you have to be filled with the Spirit of Christ. It doesn't happen any other way. You can't try harder, you can't work harder, none of that is a part of it. There are decisions to make to follow the Spirit, though, to walk in the Spirit. Believing in the Holy Spirit, teaching about the Holy Spirit is not the same as walking in the Holy Spirit. Many churches teach and believe in the Holy Spirit, but they don't walk in the Holy Spirit. Many people, even in our fellowship, believe in the Holy Spirit, teach about the Holy Spirit, but may not be filled with the Holy Spirit or walking in the Spirit. And therefore, godliness is impossible. It's not possible without the Holy Spirit. You must be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the mystery. Christ in you. Not Christ as an example, and we're trying to emulate or trying to be like that. You ever try to do that? You, you get that art test in the mail, and you got to copy Mickey on the plain piece of paper. A lot of people's Christianity is that. There's Jesus, and I'm trying to be like him. What you want to be is, without the example you want to be the artist. You want the artist to come out of you. You want him to do this. How do I teach this section of scripture to toddlers? How do I do it? You can't teach kids the word of God. None of us are equipped to teach the word of God without the Holy Spirit. You have to pray. You have to be filled with the Spirit. It's toddlers. Nobody knows the heart of those kids except God. It doesn't matter their age. Nobody knows your hearts this, this evening but God. I have to pray. God, how does this come out? How do I teach chapters 2 and 3 to this group of people? Because I don't know what to say. So fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I pray that as it comes out, you minister to each heart where they are. Toddlers, the same thing. Teens, the same thing. It doesn't matter. You have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the mystery of godliness, of God-likeness, is Christ in you. And that's where we close tonight. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and uh, Paul's heart here to, uh, to teach the tough things. And uh, 
Timothy had the responsibility of getting to, uh, Peter, or Paul's letter and applying it. Uh, Timothy didn't write this. Paul wrote this to Timothy to tell him this is how you're going to do it and Timothy had to implement. And um, that's, that's not easy. And so God, as we've heard your word tonight, we didn't write it. We just read it. But you've asked us, exhorted us, encouraged us, and in some ways commanded us to implement it into our lives. We have a decision to make. Will we implement your word in our lives? Um, maybe we struggled with the submission thing tonight. God, help us and forgive us for ever doubting that we should obey your word. Maybe we're not filled with the Holy Spirit tonight. Maybe we believe in the Holy Spirit. We've, we teach about the Holy Spirit. We know everything about the Holy Spirit, but we do not walk in the Spirit. We do not pray and wait and allow you to work through us. We're not asking for giftings. We're not waiting for the fruit that only comes from you. God, forgive us for that. And we want to ask that tonight as a body of believers, as the pillar. Would you baptize us all with your Holy Spirit? You told the disciples to not go minister, to don't move from Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high, that your Holy Spirit was going to come upon them, but to wait for that and to not say anything or do anything in ministry until that took place. God, I pray that we'd have that same respect and reverence for you tonight, that no matter what we do, that we wouldn't move a muscle and say, or say a word until we've been baptized with your Holy Spirit, till we've been endued with power from on high to do the things you've called us to do. That we wouldn't do them in our flesh and in our own strength. We can't. So Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. We know that we can do nothing without you. Your word tells us that. Matthew 5 tells us that. We can do nothing without you. Help us to believe that and to live it, to walk that way, God. We thank you. Thank you for not leaving us orphans. Thank you for not leaving us without a helper. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. We're not afraid of him at all. He's just like you. Thank you that you want us to minister and that it's in your strength that we do it and it's by your power that we do it and that you know how to do it. And so Lord, help us just to rest on that constantly and to never get away from that, trusting in you and your Holy Spirit to do that work in us and through us. Lord, bless these guys as they go tonight. Bless these folks who have taken their time out on a Wednesday night to hear your word, to be taught. Um, I pray that they're never the same, that we're a little closer to you, a little more like you tonight when we leave. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.